Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Free happy hump day. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy in talk radio of for and by you, the people. In this hour, we have a great guest joining us coming up over an, uh, a great issue. We're trying to keep you abreast of all the issues uh, that have been uh, talked about, threatened, uh, you know, with this upcoming uh, administration and just the craziness, again, of this candidate who is now our president-elect and the people he is surrounding himself with. Um, then again, we're not quite sure because that transition seems to be um, – Probably as screwed up as Republicans think the Democratic Party is right now. But uh, in this hour, we have a great guest joining us. Talk media news later in the hour. Next hour, wide open telephones. But each and every hour, you can join us by calling 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. That is the number. That's 888-6-LESLIE. 888-653-7543 is the number. And uh, keep in mind, this is your show, so we want to hear from you. But right now, let's kick it and check what's ripped from those headlines. My mother is a pro-life former Republican and a Democrat now who voted for Hillary Clinton and liked Hillary over Barack Obama back uh, in 2008. Uh, but one thing my mother has as a senior is Medicare. And she's very reliant on Medicare and Social Security, as most seniors are. Bursting with the policy-making power that now controls both houses of Congress and the White House, well, that gives Republicans, House Speaker Paul Ryan, um, a lot more power. And he's lost no time in teeing up a favorite goal. And one of those goals is gutting Medicare. 
Perhaps that's why Hillary did so well with older people. Yet again, Donald Trump had some that perhaps thought he would save them. Maybe not. In an interview with Fox News Channel last week, Ryan said, quote, Obamacare rewrote Medicare. So if you're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, you have to address those issues as well. Now, just alone, just with Obamacare, you're talking about affecting 20 million people. And by the way, most people like having insurance over not. So the mandate did that. If you take away the mandate, insurance companies have to increase premiums. I mean, think about it. If you sell 100 hamburgers a day and you lose 50 customers a day, what happens to the other 50? They're going to pay for the difference. You're going to increase the price of your hamburgers, and that's what insurance companies will do. Make no no bones about it. And if they don't, then Obamacare has not been scrapped. They've made a few changes and renamed it, and that's exactly what Hillary Clinton was going to do sans the renaming. Uh, But Medicare and uh, Social Security – Um, are long um, looked at, not just by Republicans as a a federal government uh, program, but a handout. And most people in this country, especially those who are are benefiting and the recipients of that, don't consider it a handout at all. I mean, they paid taxes for decades and paid into that system uh, that they wanted and need to have as uh, a part. Medicare, by the way, covers, I mean, baby boomers have now surpassed them, but, you know, seniors you know, are close to being the majority of our population. And seniors rely on Medicare to cover like 80%. And they'll buy secondary insurance insurance for the other uh, 20%. Uh, some people have Medi-Medi, some, you know, Medi-Blue Cross, you know, Medi-Etna, Medi-UHC, United Healthcare. I mean, the list goes on. But uh, Paul Ryan's been wanting to do this for a long time. And this is where confusion comes in to the Paul Ryan ideas, the Donald Trump ideas, and then what the heck's going to happen if Republicans aren't on the same page, although it may save some of us with those ideas. Now, he said you have to deal with those issues if you're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, that Medicare has gotten some serious problems because of Obamacare. Those things are part of our plan to replace Obamacare. But there's no secret as to what Paul Ryan has in mind or what he's talking about. He intends to replace traditional Medicare. That's an efficient program. That program offers guaranteed treatment. It also features rock-bottom administrative costs. And what he wants to do is privatize it. Now, when anything is privatized, what happens, folks? The prices go up. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. Look it up. Seniors would get a federal voucher to help them pay premiums. And those premiums would be charged by commercial insurance plans. So, in other words, here's a voucher for you to deal with big corporate America, and you know that that voucher is not going to cover what the government covers now. That's part of the problem. It's one of the reasons we needed these protections and safeties for our seniors in the first place. Ryan calls the system premium support, but it won't provide premium care. And people will not be able to keep their doctors, and people will not be able to have the plans they have now or the coverage that they have now. So since the value of the vouchers would rise at less than the rate of healthcare inflation and the cost of private insurance typically rise faster than those of Medicare, an ever larger share of healthcare cost would land right on the shoulders of who? The seniors. In 2011, when Ryan first proposed this change, the Kaiser Family Foundation calculated this, and they calculated that by 2022, healthcare spending would consume roughly half of the typical 65-year-old Social Security check, which is so low to begin with. It is so low to begin. My my mother has been working her whole life, and seriously, you know, my my mother gets what a few hundred bucks a week. 
Seriously, she gets a few hundred bucks a week. Honestly, between, you know, me and my brothers who help her out and she had some savings, you know, in addition, you know, she had a 401k with her company. Other than that, she'd be screwed. And by the way, that's why so many people are working older. And by the way, when you look at this, you know Social Security's next and you know those Republicans want to increase that retirement age. All of you out there who have worked so hard, especially those who are physical laborers. So blue-collar workers, you're honestly, you're idiots for doing this because you did it to yourself and now you did it to your parents and your grandparents. Social Security, by the way, um, their Social Security check, that would be half. Okay, so compared to only 22% under the existing Medicare. Just, so do the math, okay? You're talking about 22% of their Social Security check paying for their health care because they're only paying for the 20% difference, okay? They've already paid into Medicare. But now with that voucher, it'll be 50%. And the uh, that'd be 50%. So Ryan's plan would do nothing to rein in health care costs. It would likely increase them in part because Medicare beneficiaries would be saddled, not only paying for their care, but guess what? Paying for the shareholders' dividends, an executive pay of private insurance companies. The savings that Ryan touts are an illusion. They would merely be shifted from the government to the seniors. So you, you know... I hope you're happy now if you're a senior or a blue-collar worker, okay? You're going to work longer if you're a blue-collar worker under this administration and and these Republicans like Paul Ryan. And if you're older and you voted for this, my mother said that to some of her women who are the same age as her. How could you vote for Trump? Rhetoric aside, lack of experience aside, you're screwing yourself because you need your Social Security and your Medicare. Let's rip another. Kids who are in religious or ethnic minorities or are gay or disabled are more likely to be bullied in school than other kids. And by the way, that was before Donald Trump was elected. Their point of difference can be a point of vulnerability. In the last decade, schools have put more energy into preventing bullying to the benefit of these kids and others. Uh, Girls, by the way, are more frequent target than boys, as examples. And often... Uh, They've had the authority of the courts, the state legislatures, and even the Federal Department of Education behind them. But now the country's elected a man who appears to be a racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, and has had those messages. He's mocked disabled, and he's done it throughout his campaign. The victory of Donald Trump gives others license to do the same. There are already signs of that during this upcoming presidency. The moral values that schools and parents have been trying to instill in young people, empathy and upstanding, a term schools use that mean looking out for your fellow students who are being mistreated, that's going to be in danger of eroding. Since the election, I mentioned yesterday, I'll mention again, the Southern Poverty Law Center has received more now, I said yesterday, 300, more than 430 reports of bullying, harassment and racist displays around the country. And they said we haven't seen this kind of volume in decades except after 9-11 with a wave of anti-Muslim incidents. Not all of the reports have been verified and mentioned, but they include real and painful episodes at secondary schools and colleges. I mentioned some, but here are more. York County School of Technology in Pennsylvania students were filmed walking through the hallway with a Trump sign and yelling, white power. Minority students there reported being called racial epithets, and some say they had been staying home from school out of fear. We need our kids to be educated. And we need our kids to feel safe when they go to school. And we as parents need to feel safe sending our kids to school. At Maple Grove High School in Minnesota, racist graffiti mixed with Trump slogans made black students feel unsafe. And at the University of Michigan, a man told a student that if she did not take off her job, he would set her on fire with his lighter. 
At the University of Pennsylvania, black freshmen were added to a racist lynching thread on the text messaging service Group Me, reported by three people, including a University of Oklahoma student who was suspended for being involved in that exact chat room. Um, students are petrified. And Melania, she's supposed to take on bullying. Her husband put gasoline on this fire. That's what's written from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall. Coming up, great guest, your calls at 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543, and more coming up right after this. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. More than a pleasure to have with us Dr. Harlan Ullman. Dr. Ullman chairs two companies, CNI Guard LTD. They're an infrastructure protection firm. They're based in London and also the Kilowin Group. They advise leaders of business and government at the highest levels. He is a senior advisor for the Atlantic Council, a supreme allied commander for European Command Senior Advisory Group, Vice Chairman of SPS U.S. Advisory Board and a distinguished columnist for the United Press International. He actively advises the Departments of State and Defense and NATO and is author of A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces the Peace. You can find it at Amazon.com. More than a pleasure to have Dr. Ullman with us. Dr. Ullman, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Leslie, my pleasure. Nice to be back with you. Yes, I, uh, nice to have I remember you uh, uh, being on. Uh, I, I remember your all of your accomplishments when, and, and your name, <laughs> and uh, glad to have you back with us. Um, a lot of people are very uncomfortable, myself included, and former generals and Republicans and, and very high-ranking people that have similar credentials to you. That Donald Trump will have uh, the nuclear codes and that Donald Trump will be making decisions as commander-in-chief and leader of the free world uh, with regard to foreign policy and perhaps trying to dismantle and threatening to dismantle deals that the United States has already made and is involved in, and not alone, but with other nations, other allied nations. One of which, as you know, top of his hit parade, and it seems to be getting uh, closer to the top in his first 100 days, is to dismantle the Iran nuclear deal. Now, there are some people, doctor, who, you know, hear individuals like Secretary of State Kerry who, who say that, you know, that's not going to happen, it can't happen, and I guess it depends which channel you're listening to or watching on radio or television as to what you hear. Because you have such expertise, uh, let's talk about this and let's break this down. First of all, could Donald Trump really dismantle the Iran nuclear deal? Could the United States step out when you have a, you know, a half a dozen nations throughout the world as a part of this deal with Iran? The answer is no. He can try, but I think he will find out that that will be not only enormously difficult, but enormously stupid. Um, the point that you raise about what President Trump may or may not be is 
underscored by the hope or expectation that candidate Trump will not become President Trump because candidate Trump has said some of the wackiest things a candidate has ever said, which indicates that he has virtually no knowledge of what he's talking about. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action <clears throat> was signed by the so-called uh, P5 plus one, that's the permanent members of the uh, Security Council of the United Nations, Britain, France, the United States, uh, China, and Russia, plus Germany, plus the EU, European Union was there, plus Iran. So this is not a unilateral or bilateral U.S.-Iranian arrangement. And so for Trump to try to destroy that, he would have to get the other six signatories to agree, and nobody is going to agree. And if he did do that, I think that the allies and other signatories would immediately lift sanctions on Iran, and that would complicate the situation even more. Further, the only way short of this agreement to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon is through military force, which I think anybody with a military background will say is not going to work for the long term, is, in, is highly provocative, and if it were done, uh, I think the consequences and retaliation would be really quite severe. So Mr. Trump can say whatever he says, but if reality takes hold, this agreement is going to be in place for a very long time. So, so that people understand, um, and this was my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, we had to do this. Uh, the world had to do this to protect Israel and a potential for even further instability uh, in the Middle East with how close Iran was with nuclear enrichment to developing a nuclear weapon that could be used not only on Israel but other nations around them. Is that correct? Is this to slow I that think, down? I think that's part of the problem, but it was security of the West, not Israel. And you will remember that last year President Benjamin Netanyahu came over and opposed the agreement uh, when he talked to Congress. So... Uh, if Israel really wanted to be protected by this agreement, I think their prime minister needed to have taken a different tack. The issue right here is that nobody wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon. You're absolutely right, it would destabilize the Gulf. But the reason for doing this was really to protect the West, the United States, and Russia from potential uh, Iranian nuclear capacity. And is this rhetoric uh, that Trump is putting out there, was that for votes? Was it to appease Bibi over in Israel? Uh, because obviously, like you said, once he has a sit-down uh, with people who tell him this is what you really have the power to do as president, and, and this is not one of those things he can just take a pen and cross out, uh, why, why do you think that he put that forth? Uh, I can't get inside his brain. <laughs> he, never read, he never read the agreement. A lot of his supporters never read the agreement. When they said that's the worst deal that they've ever seen, He's never read it. So that's, okay. just, that's just absurd. I, and okay. so I don't have any idea why he said the things he did. I think that they were crazy about this. But just like saying that he's going to re revamp NAFTA, it doesn't work that way. You know, this is not a bilateral situation. He's not having a negotiation with somebody to build a hotel. He's not negotiating with a bank. He's negotiating with many, many other countries. And if those countries decide that they're not interested in negotiation, yeah, he can try and withdraw from NAFTA, but that's going to really hurt the United States economy. This notion about jobs being sucked away, he's exaggerated enormously. Similarly, if he wants to deport all these illegal immigrations, all the studies that have so far Okay, shown, Dr. Ullman, we're up against a break. Okay, okay, hold that thought. We're going to come back and talk more with Dr. Harlan Ullman right after this.
back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back only to Democracy in Talk Radio. And we go back to a guest who knows a lot on this issue. We're talking about Donald Trump wanting to dismantle the Iran nuclear deal. Dr. Harlan Ullman is our guest. And like I said, he chairs two companies, CNI Guard Ltd., an infrastructure protection firm based in London, and the Kilowin Group that advises leaders of business and government at the highest levels. His book can be found at Amazon.com, A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces. Dr. Ullman, thank you for holding Welcome back. Sorry to jump in and uh, d- That's okay, just not to worry. Inter- interrupt you there. Um, okay, so we, you know, we have a, a group of nations that we are a part of. So, you know, this is uh, not only a hard thing to do. Uh, President Obama said that it is also hard to justify, and that this deal is working. Would you agree with both of those points? Absolutely. And Absolutely. can you explain why? And the alternative, very simply, is that uh, do you want to go to war with Iran? And the answer is, of course not. And the deal is working. Uh, we've got inspectors on the ground. Iran is abiding, ab- abiding by what it agreed to. And uh, so is the West. Why do you think so many Americans don't hear that or don't believe that? Um, well, first of all, I think since the Vietnam War and all the difficulties we've had with Watergate, the resignation of Nixon, on and on and on, the second Iraq War, that institutions in this country have lost credibility. The only institution I can think of that's being held in high regard is the military. But everything from the Catholic Church to the Boy Scouts to the Congress to the media um, uh, is being held with great contempt. And so I think Americans have just become very skeptical, cynical, and disbelieving of their government. And so they don't want to believe what the government says. And I don't think the government has made a particularly strong case, by the way, in some of these issues. We have uh, a government that's obviously broken, and fixing it is not going to be particularly easy. We have an American society, in my judgment, which is really quite fearful about the future, and that fear has transformed itself into anger and fury uh, because people can't make enough to survive on health care, education of children, et cetera, et cetera. The notion that 70% of Americans think we're on the wrong track and think that their children and grandchildren will not live as well as they did has caused this degree of cynicism and negativism to break out. That's why Donald Trump was elected. That's why Bernie Sanders did so well. And so you have to overcome that. And so for those reasons, sometimes no matter what a government says, if somebody says that's nonsense, people will believe the nonsense because they really don't want to engage the time to look at what's the truth and what's fact because they simply have stopped believing in the, uh, in the reliability and the integrity of their government. I, I want to talk about so many things with this, and, and I'm looking at time. So let's talk about the EU, because you mentioned, hey, the EU is in on this. Um, and, and the EU is very strongly saying, hey, stick uh, to uh, Iran um, and stick to this deal of with course. Iran, despite the criticism uh, from Trump. Um, talk about why the EU is uh, keeping the push uh, not only to keep what we have, but to restore uh, ties with Iran, and uh, that are certainly in line with last year's uh, nuclear deal, obviously, once again, to Donald Trump's criticism and uh, statements that he will rescind. That's not only the EU. I think most countries look at Iran. It's got a very vibrant, relatively young population. It obviously has access to oil, and it has a creativity that's important, and the fact that it becomes a huge market and the potential demand generator for Western products is very real. So, uh, interestingly, when the JCPOA was approved, it received almost unanimous approval within Europe, 
There was no friction. There were no reports about how horrible this was. It was only in the United States. And that's possibly because, due to ideology, uh, because we're in a situation where, since both parties hate each other and view each other with such venom, that if Party A says B and Party C says D, they both are going to say that's untrue. We've lost civility and we've lost compromise. So anything the Republicans say, the Democrats are going to reject out of hand. And anything the Democrats say, likewise, the Republicans are going to reject out of hand. That's why this country's government is broken. In Iran, uh, in Tehran, um, certainly individuals and their government complain that restoring business ties with the West is moving too slowly, in large part because of the many uh, sanctions uh, that restrict Iran's access to the international banking and financial systems. I agree with that, and I think that uh, we have to move, I think, more more quickly. Um, it's a very complicated situation. You, you've got the Iranian-Saudi uh, hostility, even though, if you recall, way back in the Nixon administration, we had a two-pillar policy in which Saudi Arabia and Iran, under the Shah, admittedly, were on our side against the Soviet Union. You've got Iran certainly actively engaged in Syria, but you also have Iran that opposes the Islamic State. And I think we have to be more sophisticated in our approaches here. Uh, Obviously, anything we do with Iran is going to come under huge domestic scrutiny and criticism. But the notion that we can open up Iran for further economic benefit, I think, over the long term, will lead to a liberalizing of the country. That may take decades. But in any event, it's far better than having a hostile Iran. And I think most of the European countries and the other signatories to the JCPOA believe that. And I think that they're correct. To your point about a hostile Iran, um, there is a presidential election coming up in Iran in May. The incumbent currently is Hassan Rouhani. Um, Although EU diplomats expect him to stay on for a second term, uh, there's a lot of pressure. And with Donald Trump being elected and his anti-Muslim rhetoric when he campaigned and things that are being said about Muslims coming here, whether for business, uh, for work, or for education, um, could we see... Iran go back to an extreme right-wing regime within a right-wing religious regime as opposed to the uh, moderate desiring of working with and doing business with the West uh, of Hassan Rouhani? I think that's very, very unlikely, but I would put this in a larger context, Leslie. Uh, The American presidential campaign with the things that Trump said and Hillary Clinton I think really damaged American prestige and influence to the degree that we had it abroad. Because Hillary is not liked by everyone, but the status of the campaign and the way that it was waged uh, really diminished American democracy, and I third, it no doubt hurt, I just got back from a week in Europe, has hurt whatever reputation the United States had. So one of the things that Mr. Trump is going to have to do is to try to rebuild America's image. And if he doesn't, then I think you're going to see things go a lot worse abroad because Americans will then the government will be seen as really in opposition to globalization and all the things that are driving the international economy and international politics. And I think that will make life a lot more difficult economically for the United States. I want to talk about a piece uh, that you wrote uh, entitled Donald Trump's election plays into Vladimir Putin's propaganda. I was just saying today off the air, off of radio and television, that I think Putin is laughing because he conned Trump and helped Trump and helped with hacking and with Julie Assange to rig the election so that Trump would win because it benefits Vladimir Putin. And, and, and I'm going to say it just this way, sorry, layperson terms, that Trump, I think Putin expects to, is going to try to make him his biatch, if you will. 
I think that's one opinion. I, I would look at I would look at Putin a little bit more strategically and politically. Putin is a very, very, very clever person. Um, I don't think he had any uh, any preferences in winning. I th- in who won the election. I think he would have been more comfortable had Hillary not won. But Putin is a a very, very clever, highly pragmatic individual, and he sees this as an opportunity to try to improve in his interest, U.S.-Russian relations. Now, what that means is he wants sanctions lifted over Ukraine, and he wants greater cooperation in the fight against the Islamic State. And so he has been brilliant in how he has managed to make that statement, both in a huge speech he gave at Valdai on October 28th in Sochi, uh, which held out an olive branch, and the conversations he had with Trump. But what Putin is going to want as a measure of goodwill is going to be some of the sanctions lifted. And my guess is that Trump will bite. Now, I don't think Trump has an idea about how tough a negotiator Mr. Putin is. Uh, Trump says, I've had the art of the deal. I can negotiate with anybody. Well, Franklin Roosevelt tried that with Joseph Stalin, and we ended up with the Dalta declarations and the Yalta Treaty of 1945. Um, I don't think Trump really stands a chance when he negotiates with, uh, with Putin. But Putin is going to do this on Russian terms. And if he can't get what he wants, then he's going to continue what he's doing, which is to have a strategy of intimidation of the West, which is really quite successful, and try to woo different countries away from the Western bloc. You see that happening with Hungary, you see that happening with Turkey, and you see that happening possibly with Bulgaria. So I think Trump needs a really strong policy and a strong policy team who understand Russia, but not ideologues of the left or the right, some who say you can only treat Russia with lots of... uh, intimidation and force, and others who say you can capitulate. And quite frankly, I don't see anybody on his team so far that seems to fill the bill uh, as somebody who really understands Russia and has a grasp of foreign policy, but it's still early days. Uh, Yeah, I I, I agree that it does play into Putin's propaganda. Let's talk about some other leaders. Um, uh, China, people were joking today online that China said, we'll help you make America great again, Donald. Um, He, Donald Trump, has um, certainly demonized China. However, there are numerous American companies over there that benefit from China and that even, uh, you know, benefit from their tampering with their own currency, the manipulation of their currency. And Donald Trump is one of those people. Uh, So talk to us uh, with regard to uh, China, because, you know, you talk about and wrote in your piece that President-elect Trump is headed for an incredibly rough ride even before the inauguration on January 20th. Um, talk to us a how, about how he is viewed by some of these people. Some obviously rivals, some are adversaries. Uh, we talked a little bit about Putin. We'll talk more about him. But let's talk about the president of China. Well, I think the first thing you have to realize is that this team that he puts together has been out here eight years out of office. And quite frankly, they are not current with the issues. And it will take them a long time to get current. It takes a while to fill up an administration. And the first year of most every administration, going back 25 years, has been very, very rocky, irrespective of party. So you've got a team that's highly inexperienced, and there are going to be some very, very, very rough rides, uh, irrespective of that. About China, China has about $2 trillion of U.S. debt, and I don't know how much money they've got invested in the U.S. stock market, but it's a huge amount. So the leverage we have on China in terms of trying to change their currency is a lot less uh, there's also an interesting anecdote. I was in Bucharest in Romania last week, 
and a former defense minister of Bulgaria was proudly showing off his tie made by Trump fashions that was made, guess where, in China. <laughs> so I think Mr. Trump has to realize that you can have this strong rhetoric in terms of what you are proposing to do, but when you face the reality of the economic and financial situation, uh, the comments that he made in the campaign are just, are just not credible. They're not based on fact. And if he were to try to pursue them, I think he could precipitate, uh, if not an economic uh, calamity, certainly it would make the economics here a lot worse, simply because China has so much power over us, given the fact that they've got debt and they've got a lot of money invested in the U.S. markets. There are some that believe that North Korea's Kim Jong-un uh, wanted this man to be president. And, you know, he pretty much has, uh, you know, said, I, I really don't care who's leader of the United States. Um, he is somebody who seems to like to poke, uh, to test, uh, to challenge this new administration. And that would be alongside with Putin, with Xi Jinping, uh, with uh, the Grand Ayatollah of Iran. Um, how do you think, and I know you don't have a crystal ball necessarily, but, you know, what kind of tests and challenges do you think Trump is going to come up again with the leaders of Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea? And that that's a big amount that is sitting there in the back. Well, first, about Russia, uh, there's going to be a, a, a bromance to start, and then we will see uh, how that proceeds. What Trump has to realize, he's got to really make some accommodations with uh, the Congress. You've seen John McCain already take a very strong stand about what Trump is saying about Russia. So that's going to pose a lot of problems domestically and internationally for Putin, for uh, Trump. Similarly, with China, uh, if he begins to talk about devaluation, uh, the Chinese will signal, I think, through uh, selling, selling some of their debt here, that that's not a very, very good idea. And China will continue to be, I think, uh, aggressive in the South China Seas. About North Korea, I suspect he will, Kim Jong-un will continue to uh, flex his nuclear muscles, have training exercises, probably uh, launch some missiles and possibly even explode another nuclear uh, device. We'll see about that. Actually, however, I think that Kim uh, secretly admires Donald Trump's hair. And so ah. possibly, possibly that might be a means for a rapprochement. They could exchange barbers, perhaps. <laughs> Kurt Eichenwald, who I like very much from Newsweek, um, he uh, tweeted, murderous Syrian dictator Assad just said Trump, based on what he says, would be a natural ally like Russia, like Iran. Yeah. That, that renders him, and I think many Americans, speechless. And you Why? say? And you say? Why does that render anybody speechless? Uh, he, Assad sees that if the United States works with Russia, uh, that's going to strengthen his position to take on the Islamic State, and it means that he's going to remain in power. That's the reason he said what he said. It's uh, basically elemental in, in politics that the closer rapprochement or a closer relationship between Russia and the United States is in Assad's best interest because Russia has propped up Assad, in fact, not only propped up, but saved his regime. What do you think, with regard to foreign policy, will be the most difficult for not just Trump, but his administration, like you said, there's a bunch of old guys from, you know, haven't been in play and, you know, been in the business, so to speak, uh, for nearly a decade. And, and then, you know, with the Republicans that are currently in the House and the Senate and do have a majority. Well, the, the obvious point, I, I have a book coming out next year called Anatomy of Failure, Why America Loses Every War It Starts. And one of the reasons that's the case when I say loses war, whenever we use force and we don't know what we're doing, we don't understand. We, uh, we, we fail. Um, the most important thing is to have a deep, 
understanding and knowledge of what you're getting into. And even people in this administration, after eight years, don't have necessarily a deep enough understanding and knowledge of what we're getting into. Uh, Libya, for example, in 2011 was an example of that. And so one thing that the Trump administration must try to do is to have a fact-based set of policies. I call it brains-based approach to strategic thinking. That itself is entirely dependent upon knowledge and understanding. That's the one thing that he can do. Now, how he manages to put that in place with the people he seems to be wanting to appoint, I don't know. I just don't see that. I don't think that the people who have been named so far uh, really have the skill set to be able to have a sufficiently deep enough understanding to match that of, say, Henry Kissinger as Big Brzezinski or uh, Brent Skokoff, who are very successful national security advisors. Uh, the one exception is Steve Hadley, who was national security advisor, the second national security advisor for uh, George W. Bush. Steve's name has been floated around in a variety of positions, and if Trump is going to put anybody in high office, uh, I would certainly hope that Steve Hadley is one of them, because Steve understands Steve is a very, very solid guy with a great mind and is balanced, and that's what Trump needs. But my fear is that there won't be enough knowledge and understanding. The first months or year of an administration is always tough, and I think, as I noted before, this is going to be a very rough and could be a very unpleasant ride. Lastly, some people say that Donald Trump will begin World War III. You just said that America doesn't win any war, that it starts. I know you don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not asking you to go to Vegas on this, but how likely is it that the United that, that we are involved in a war in the next four years? Oh, 100%. We're already involved in two wars. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, on, on a larger scale. No, I don't think so. I, I think this is not 1914. Uh, I think if, if Trump were to do something, um, we would have a military failure. But I, the chances of us going to war with Russia or China um, are, if not zero, they are infinitesimally close to zero. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is going to make policy mistakes that could redound in the economy, uh, really taking a heavy hit. Uh, there could be the equivalent of a, of a military uh, tragedy where some of our forces are, are, are killed in large numbers. Uh, we could extricate ourselves from Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, we could do something stupid in Syria, but I don't regard that as a, as a world war. I regard it as a blunder, uh, which will be painful, but it will not be a fatal, uh, a fatal exercise. All right. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Dr. Harlan Ullman. Follow him on Twitter at Dr. Harlan Ullman, D-R-H-A-R-L-A-N-U-L-L-M-A-N. back. Luke Vargas joins us, U.N. correspondent for Talk Media News. Uh, Luke, there was an announcement by Ford Motor Company today. Tell us about that. Yeah, they said they're going to go ahead with their previous threat to relocate the Ford Focus manufacturing plant to Mexico. This was one of those uh, corporate announcements that Donald Trump used in his campaign to sort of say everyone's outsourcing and leaving American jobs behind. It appears that his threat of, you know, putting a tariff on Ford's cars if they came back to the U.S., is not enough to deter the company from going forward with it. And you have to think, with so many lobbyists lining up to be in the Trump administration, they might have someone on the inside who's saying, look, 
about all that tough talk, we're not actually going to really stick it to you in the long run. So that's a pretty bold move by Ford, I think. Oh, definitely. And by the way, that would, you know, make liars out of people putting Ford's moving their location from Mexico to Ohio. Just that, uh, a lie. No, don't know it's a lie or truth anymore. Uh, well, we don't have any more time, Luke. We will talk to you again, I'm sure. Luke Vargas, alive from the Big Apple, UN correspondent with Talk Media News. Coming up, wide open telephone, stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Oasis, a paychecks company. Oasis provides small and medium-sized businesses with an all-in-one solution to simplify back-office complexities like payroll, benefits, HR, and compliance. Let Oasis take care of the HR administration so you can focus on growth, your customers, and continue to run your business fearlessly. Learn more at oasisadvantage.com slash podcast.